Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Advent is uh, an interesting time uh, for us Christians because we're kind of caught in a weird place in the world right now. For many years, Christmas itself has been very commercialized. Everyone's kind of crazy grabbing at gifts, wondering whether or not we're going to have what we want under the tree this year. People are putting up you know, Christmas lights and decorations now, I think this, this year, even before Thanksgiving. And we're just kind of scratching our heads. Going, it's not even Christmas yet. It's not even Christmas yet. But still, in the church, we need to remember that Advent is a special time for us in that on one hand, we are preparing for the celebration of when Christ came and was born, when he took on flesh so that he might die for our flesh. That is part of it. But actually, it's a very minor part. We don't really have any readings in our text today about getting ready for Christmas. Right? We don't have any texts in our uh, our service today about, you know, uh, oh, well, um, we're preparing for Christ to be born. What are our texts about? They're about when he will come again, right? He has come once. He came in the flesh. He will come again. And he comes yet, to the, yet today through his word, through his sacraments, his body and his blood. He comes to us so that we would be encouraged to stand fast, to stand firm, waiting for that last day, which will be glorious for those who trust in him. St. Paul says, what was written in former days was, was written for our instruction, that through endurance, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Seems like there's not a lot of hope today. This world is very dark. This world is full of darkness, actually. And we as Christians hold on to the true light of Christ. But even so, if you've ever been in a dark, dark night with a little flashlight... It's still pretty scary, right? A light that shines into the darkness, and you can only see so far in front of you. It still becomes scary. It's still a daunting thing to be a Christian living in this world. And that's what our texts for today are preparing us for, to encourage us, to say, <laughs> it seems worse right now. And we're not saying it's going to get any better probably going to get worse. In fact, that's what Jesus says. It's going to get worse. That he says, there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world. Sounds like what you see on the news, huh? 
for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin, not if, but when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Don't cower. Don't be afraid. Christ is coming. He won't be long, even though it seems like he will. It seems like he's been taking his sweet time. But his patience is there, not because he doesn't care, but because he wishes that all who ought to repent would. He's waiting. He's patient for that last day. All these things that go on in this world, they are signs. Signs of God's wrath for sin. I mean, depend on, depending on who you've talked to uh, about this, people will say uh, either we're out of the pandemic or we're still in the pandemic or something in between, right? That 2020 threw us all for a loop. But it's kind of funny that COVID-19 happened during 2020 because it helps us see clearly what really matters, right? We now have 2020 sight on what really matters in life now, or at least we ought to, right? And depending on who you ask about the pandemic, about earthquakes, about storms and hurricanes and tornadoes and all kinds of things that are showing up through the natural signs, depending on who you ask, they'll have a naturalistic explanation for it, right? And say, oh, well, you know, well, when a hurricane happens, it's because a certain pressure is taking place off the coast. And, or with a pandemic, it's, you know, depending on who, who you ask where the origin of the virus came from, you know, that everybody has an explanation. Everybody has an explanation. But what, a, what, what would happen if we as Christians, for our explanation, said, yeah, God did that. God did that because we're sinful. What? Imagine the response of people to that reply. It's like, can you believe this pandemic? Yeah, I know. But, you know, God did it for a reason. Someone might say, well, no, what about the people that are really responsible? Yeah, God. He's responsible for this. Not that we blame him, right? Because what God ordains is always good, as the hymn says. That we as Christians ought not follow the world in being afraid of the signs themselves, right? Don't be afraid of the signs. Be afraid, or rather, fear the one who sends those signs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of understanding, right? Understand the right order of things, that God ordains these things. God made these things happen, not so that we would blame him, but so that we would see that he is in control and that even when we don't think so, those things that happen are for our good. They prepare us. They give us... They give us... Um, they give us the, the 
excuse me, they give us the endurance that we need. A Christian's life is not one that is entirely passive, right? We ought to be athletes who run a race. Not that we run to receive some perishable prize, but the imperishable, right? So run that you would, that you would gain that prize, that prize of everlasting life. That as an athlete, what happens when you exercise? Does it feel good? Well, yeah, at some point it probably does. I mean, you get an endorphin rush, but afterwards, what happens? You're sore, right? The muscles are sore because, I'll be honest with you, I'm pretty out of shape. Uh, there have been times recently where I've gone for a walk, and when I got back, I could feel the muscles in my legs twitching, you know? I could do better at it. And like our bodies, faith is a muscle. It needs to be exercised. And that's what God does with these things that he sends our way that would trouble us or challenge us or tempt us or try us. It's, an, it's a chance for us to exercise our faith, to flex that faith and get it going, that trusts in God, that when things happen to you, when people are fainting with fear and foreboding of, of what is coming on the world. Can you believe what they said on the news? Can you believe what they're doing in this city? Can you believe what's going on in this world? What are we to do? God's in control. God did that so that you would trust in him. Imagine the response. Imagine the response. And we should. We should imagine the response of people and prepare for that as well. Because sometimes it's not always going to be, you're right. <laughs> Most often it's probably going to be, you're crazy. You're crazy. It's clear what the reason is. You crazy Christians. Oh, but you just want to believe in God. Yeah, that's exactly what we want to do. Yeah, that's exactly what we want to do. We want to trust in God. We want to trust that he has everything in his hand. We want to trust, because he says that we should, him, when he says that all things are in his hands. Our psalm for the day, right? The mighty one, God, Jesus Christ, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. He is in control. The Lord Jesus Christ is sitting on the right hand of power for you. So that whatever happens in this world, it is for your good. It is so that you would look at these things that the world says is awful. And you say, thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen. Right? That's our response. And it only comes from faith. It only comes from trusting in what he has told us and how he is encouraging us to run, not on our own strength, but the strength that he supplies. Because dead men can't run. Those who are dead in their trespasses and sins can do nothing. 
But those who trust in Christ live and run, act and do, not because they're so great, but because of the one who granted them life in the first place is so great. So don't be afraid of the signs. Don't be afraid of the people that scoff, right? The Psalms have a lot to say about scoffers, right? Do not, do not go with them. Do not stand in their way. Do not sit with them. Avoid them. Avoid the scoffers. Because in the end, all they want to do is drag you down. And worse than that, and I believe this, and it doesn't take a, 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 it doesn't take a Master of Divinity degree. It doesn't take a PhD or an advanced degree to see that things are getting worse. And it doesn't take a mature Christian to understand that Christians are facing persecution. And we ought to be clear about what that means, right? We ought to be clear about what it means to be persecuted. Because most of the time, like me at some point in time, you probably think that that to be persecuted means that you need to be uh, put in a position where you're called on the carpet and you're told to confess your faith or actually renounce your faith or die, right? That's how most people see persecution. And we in America have often thought to ourselves, well, we're not really persecuted, you know? We got, we got some tensions between the state and we got some tensions between the church, right? There are some tensions there, there's some friction, as it were. But in reality, Christians are persecuted. More often than you probably realize. And the point is not to call out every bit of persecution, right? The point is not to say, with every bit of slight, you say, stop persecuting me, right? The point is to realize what the world is trying to do. So that you can quietly say, Amen. Thanks be to God. This is good for me. Right? Even the tiniest things like teaching about transgenderism or homosexuality in the public schools, saying that it's a good thing, if that's not persecution, I don't know what is for Christians, right? But some kids might be forced to sit through these things to endure that struggle. To endure the temptation to be, to believe a lie. That's persecution, folks. Believe it or not. That Christians have always been and always will be persecuted on this side of glory. There's no way around it. And really, the sooner you embrace that, the better off you will be because then you'll actually see the world for what it is. But you'll also see Christ for who he is. He is the one who saves you. He's the one who strengthens you. He's the one who gives you the words to speak. He says before in uh, Luke 21, before our text for this Sunday, he says, (laughs) he says, uh, 
Before all these things, before all these uh, wars and kingdom against kingdom, nation against um, nation against excuse me. Before all these things, before all these wars, he says, before all these things, they will lay their hand on hands on you and persecute you, delivering up, delivering you up to the authorities and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair on your head shall be lost. And by patience, by your patience, possess your lives. It's coming. In fact, it's already here. It's been here since the first church after Christ. That if you don't know the stories of the martyrs, you ought to. If you're not familiar with how they endured persecution, familiarize yourself. Even if you never face that temptation, man, those accounts will strengthen you. They'll give you a good example that when Christians would be brought before a Roman governor or prefect, right? the Roman governor will, would, basically the issue was this. They would say, look, we just want you to be a good citizen and burn a pinch of incense to Caesar as a god. Some of them are even noted as saying, we don't really believe this, but just go ahead and do it and you won't die. Just go ahead, just, just do it. Do you really want to leave your family behind? Do you really want to forsake your parents? Do you want to leave your children alone? There was uh, the story of Perpetua and Felicity, Felicitas. Perpetua had a newborn boy. Felicity gave birth in prison, and they took her child away. They had their family on the other side of the bars, pleading with them, crying, saying, just do what they say and live. We don't want to lose you. And they didn't. They stood fast. They stood firm. Some Christians, when they stood before the governor, and the governor asked them their names, they said, Christian. And the governor said, no, really, what is your name? Christian. And the governor would say, do you recant your testimony?" Will you do what we tell you to do? Will you burn the pinch of incense to Caesar? And some Christians responded by saying, no, and you can't do anything about it. You can't even kill me. 
To which the Christ, to which the governor would say, "Yes, I can. Look at the bodies that I just killed. Look at the bodies of the people that I just killed." And you're saying that I can't kill you? And they say, "Well, you might be able to do something like it, but in the end, I will live forever, for the sake of Christ." But not every martyrdom, not every witness of the faith in that way died. Some of them were called confessors. They might have been beaten or tortured, but they would survive. And they would survive with their faith and their testimony standing firm. Whichever one you will be, I don't know. God knows. You may not be any of them. And in some sense, I have a feeling that Satan got a little wise to the martyrs in the, old, in, in the New Testament church. He got a little wise to things that where there's a, a saying that we have in the church that, um, what is it? The blood of the martyrs is the seedbed of the church. That people see people dying for the faith and they say, wow. What do they believe in that they would die for? I want to know. But recently, as we've seen in the Soviet Union, that what they'll do is, instead of killing you is they will do something that's almost worse than death. They will make you obscure. They will make it to where pastors, they made it to where uh, a pastor, instead of getting an actual wage that he could live off of, he got paid less than a plumber because they wanted to discourage Christianity. They wanted to discourage a pastor's son from becoming a pastor. And that's how wily, how cunning Satan can be. That you have to be on your feet. You have to be on your toes about what's coming, what's around you, right? Not so that you would despair. Not so that you would just be like those who faint with fear and foreboding on what is coming on the world. Not so that you would cry out and say, oh, what are we to do? What are we to do? But instead you would cry out and say, Lord, have mercy. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Save us from this horror. And we need to speak this way. We need to be clear about these things. We need to do what a lot of Christians seem to be scared to do. And it is a temptation for all of us that we might be scared to stand and confess clearly. That sometimes a good confession means that you say, you're wrong. You need to repent and believe in Christ. Sometimes that's required. But there are a lot of Christians, and there's a lot of temptation today, where Christians might be tempted to only say, in the face of persecution, well, Jesus loves you. That's true. Jesus does love you. But that doesn't necessarily help people out sometimes when they're doing something they ought not do. When they're believing a way they ought not believe. Circumstances differ. Discernment and wisdom is key to talking to people, to dealing with people. Be as wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves, as Christ says, right? But sometimes you might need to be 
like Friedrich Winneken. I don't know if y'all know this story. And I, I, I heard it recently. Uh, I, I didn't read it, so it might be apocryphal in some sense. But there's a story about Friedrich Winneken, who was the second president of the Missouri Synod after CFW Walther. And before he became the president, he was a regular pastor, and he was a circuit writer, and he rode around to different churches to preach and to administer the sacrament. And he was in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He just got done with the service. And there was a person that came up to him. A man came up to him as he got on his horse, and he said, Hey, Winnikin, I've heard what you preach, and I don't believe a word of it. To Winnikin, didn't miss a beat, apparently, according to the story. He didn't, mean, he didn't miss a beat, and he goes, That's all right. When the devil is dragging you by the collar down to hell, you can just tell him, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. The story doesn't end there. The great part about that story is not that he was so witty. The great part about that story is not that he zinged him, right? The great part about that story is that when he came back on his route, that man came to him broken and in shambles. What must I do to be saved? Repent. Believe in Jesus Christ. And that man lived the rest of his life as a pious Christian, repentant and faithful. Sometimes these words are necessary because we as Christians ought to be bold in confessing, in testifying to the truth because it is love itself. It is Christ himself who has died for your sins. But if people don't think that they're sinful, they won't understand. Be bold. Be steadfast in the faith. Stand firm in the word of God. Don't think about what you might say when you're persecuted, because if you are in the word, you'll have the word to say. Trust in Christ. Lean on him and not on your own understanding. Fulfill your office, whatever that might be, as father, as husband, as wife, as mother, as an employer, as an employee. Fulfill your office as a Christian and let the persecution come if it will. Let it happen and say, Amen, Alleluia, thanks be to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.